welcome to the Get Cozy Podcast, where we talk all about the coziest of book genres, the cozy mystery. I'm your host, Christy Meyer, and I'll be bringing you author interviews and keeping you up to date on all the hottest cozy mystery releases. We'll be diving into the latest episode after these quick messages. So grab yourself a cup of your favorite hot beverage and let's get cozy. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, hello, my cozy friends. Welcome back to Get Cozy Podcast. Most of you have already seen on Instagram that we are now going to be hosting both cozy mystery and romance authors on the show. And I am so thrilled for today's episode because not only is our guest author a celebrated and prolific cozy mystery author, but she also writes some of my favorite romantic comedies as well. Jen McKinley is the New York Times, USA Today, and Publishers Weekly bestselling author of several mystery and romance series. She's also the winner of the RT Reviewer's Choice Award for Romantic Comedy and the Fresh Fiction Award for Best Cozy Mystery. Her work has been translated into multiple languages in countries all over the world. A TEDx speaker, she's always happy to talk books, writing, reading, and the creative process to anyone who cares to listen. She lives in sunny Arizona in a house that is overrun with kids, pets, and her husband's guitars. So welcome to the show, Jen. Thank you so much, Christy. It's such a pleasure to be here. Oh, I am just so excited to have you. You're definitely the author that I've received the most requests from our listeners to have on the show. And you're such a prolific cozy mystery author, like we mentioned, but you do also write some fabulous romance novels. So what came first for you, writing cozies or writing romance? Yeah, I took the long, I mean, my dream when I was young was definitely, I just wanted to write romantic comedies. You know, Mm -hmm. I was, my coming of age was uh, Bridget Jones's Diary, Sex and the City was on TV. It was all like, you know, all about the pink pump and the handbag, (laughs) (laughs) single girl in comedy. So I actually did sell, um, my first book was with Harlequin when they were trying to do, um, like a chiclet light, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know? So the problem with that is comedy is very subjective. So you had a lot of different varieties of comedy and they could never really get a handle on how to market it or get it out there. So I did, I think I wrote three uh, short romantic comedies for them. And then they essentially fired me. (laughs) (laughs) But in publishing, they don't tell you. Yeah, they don't tell you you're fired. This is like a little tip for anybody who's a writer out there. They say things like, um, well, this idea is not really right, but you know, keep trying. And mm-hmm. you're like, hmm. So then you keep trying like a knucklehead. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. And then my husband actually, um, he and I met in a library. So yeah, oh, we're, I we're, love that, that. we're that love story. We both were working there, but, and he's a musician and I'm a writer. So it was like, oh, I, I see you. Uh-huh. But um, he was the one who said to me, I think we were just dating at the time. We weren't married yet, but he said, why don't you write mysteries? Cause I'm a genre reader. I'm not, there's very 
few literary books where I'm like, yeah, this is really a good story. I mm-hmm. find most of them boring. <laughs> yeah, I kind of do too. I feel bad saying that, but it's true. <laughs> I want to escape like you reality. Get, you get shunned if you say that. But I mean, honestly, it's like, from what I understand from when I was an English major for a little while, they always said that Shakespeare wrote for the populace, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I feel like genre does. You know, we're not trying to be unreachable so for me yeah if I could have gotten a degree in genre reading oh yeah summa cum laude but you know right so (laughs) (laughs) so library science it was but anyway um my husband was the one who said you know you love mysteries too why don't you try writing one of those and I was just like oh I'm not smart enough you have to have suspects and red herrings yeah complicated and you know how someone can just cut through it he just looked at me and he's like just write it backwards and I was like huh (laughs) (laughs) there's an idea (laughs) that's why I'm gonna marry you okay (laughs) right exactly so then I started writing mysteries and you know it wasn't um an immediate jump because again you know traditional publishing is hard you have to prove yourself Mm -hmm. so I was submitting stories and I kept getting things like this is great we like your voice but you don't really have a hook and I was sitting there thinking what what are you talking about what is a hook Mm -hmm. you know And I always tell people that I suspect, because I did have an agent at that time who was very supportive and and sweet, um, that there was a meeting at Penguin Random House and they were like, all right, if we just, if we give her something, well, she's like, no way. (laughs) (laughs) Because every time I had an idea, I'm like, oh, I got another idea. And I'd write it up. Oh, I have another idea. And my agent, bless her heart, was like, okay, I'll send it, you know. And then they came to my agent and said, listen, we think Jen's voice could write this series. And it was a, work for hire which is basically Uh an editor comes up with the idea and then they find an author that they think can execute it so I turned in a sample chapter and they were like yeah yeah I think you've got this and I was like cool can I totally change the plot (laughs) because I don't like yours and they were like okay you know so it was a three book um decoupage mystery series and you know they were like you know decoupage and I'm like oh yeah sure no Uh but (laughs) absolutely I'll just google it later (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly I went to work I'm like decoupage decoupage but um so that was fun but I mean I kind of knew at the time when I uh did it you know I was writing under a pseudonym I didn't own the copyright they would own the copyright because it was essentially their idea Mm -hmm. that I needed you know to take advantage of this door being open a tiny little crack. So that's when I uh, came up with the cupcake bakery series. And um, that was just one of those rando, everything around me was cupcakes. And I was like, yeah, I'll pitch that. And I really thought it would be a three book, maybe five book series if I was lucky. Yeah. And I think I'm writing, I don't even know what number now. I think I'm on 15 or 15. Yeah. So who knows? So you just never know. Right. Oh, that's (laughs) amazing. I love that journey. Like just, I I think a lot of people don't realize when you, um, try to become a traditionally published author, how long and arduous and how much rejection (laughs) happens along the way. Yeah. It's a lot. It's so, yeah. And you really have to, you know, it's so funny. I've met so many people in my life who are like, Oh, you know, I'm going to write a book someday. I don't know when their someday is, but Mm -hmm. get to it. And then other people like, Oh, I just, I couldn't handle the rejection. And it's like, well, that's fair because you really have to have like a hide, like a rhinoceros and you have to be able to pivot. Like when they tell you, no, they're not kidding. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like you've got to come up with another idea and another idea. And you know, that's where the writing community is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's like go to conferences, meet people. That's one thing I didn't do in the beginning. Cause I was 
not shy because you can probably tell I'm an uber extrovert, but, <laughs> but I just, I had, I was so, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, but I just like writing was a secret. Like there was very few people who knew I was trying to be a writer. Like my mm-hmm. husband obviously knew my really, really close friends, family members, but I didn't share it with the public at large, you know, the wider, whatever, because I just thought I didn't want anybody telling me I couldn't do it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, right. You're going to get published. But, you know, I'm like, I can't, I don't know. I don't need that kind of negativity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the thing is, if I'd gone to conferences, I could have met a million me's and probably shortened my journey. Like, I think my journey was a lot longer because I didn't, the way I look at it is I, because I didn't own what I was trying to do. I didn't fully commit. Mm-hmm. And it's just, so my advice, if anybody's listening, who you know, fully commit, go all in. I mean, what do, what do you have to lose? Yeah, exactly. Especially now. I think more than ever, we realize like, do it now because you never know what next year is going to bring. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think we've all learned that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Get her done. Absolutely. And, you know, like you said, you never know what's going to happen. And look how successful your cozies and your romances have become now. That's so exciting. I am very excited. I've been very lucky. Well, and the thing was, like, so I was writing the, so I wrote Cupcake and I did think it wasn't going to, well, see, here's the thing with all that rejection, (laughs) you start to feel like everything is slipping through your fingers. Like, okay, I sold that, but you know, that's not going to last. So then I get like a library lover series. And then I think at the time eBooks were getting super popular and I'm like, oh, libraries are dead. You know, even though I worked in one, I was like, I'm doomed. (laughs) So then it was like, okay. And that's how like the London hat shop, you know, God bless the queen. Yeah. came came to be so that's amazing just always having something on the the back burner because you never know what's going to happen especially in trad pub what when you're going to have to pivot and move in a whole new direction oh yeah I mean we had a thing so I think at the time it was 2016 and that was when penguin and random house merged. Mm-hmm. So the corporate philosophy changed. So at the time we had like 50 cozy mystery authors and everybody was writing like one or two series. And then freaks like me were trying to like, at one point I had all five going. Wow. And cause crazy. <laughs> and <laughs> so much that fear of failure. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. it's all going to get taken away, work harder. Um, luckily I finally signed with an agent who was like, mm, maybe we could work smarter. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, a gaff. <laughs> That's a good agent. Yeah, she's very good. You know, yeah, I needed her. But um, it was like 2016. And I remember it was in Phoenix and they were having, I think it was Left Coast Crime. It was one of the, the writer, mystery writer conferences. Mm-hmm. And we were literally going into panel talks, you know, about whatever. And you'd see people's phones going off and they'd come out and they just look shell-shocked. And they're like, my, my editor was just like, go. Oh. And so was I, I mean, it was just like, we call oh, it no. apocalypse for a reason. It was like, oh my God. So it's like of those 50 authors. And that's an estimate that I was writing with at the time. Mm-hmm. I think maybe 10 of us survived and you didn't know who wow. was going to survive. That was the other thing. You didn't know who the publisher, the new publisher, the merger publisher was going to keep and who they were going to let go. It was awful. Yeah, <laughs> it was just, that's so you know, scary. Yeah, and, and that's traditional publishing. You just it changes, mm-hmm. you know. So that's what kind of kicked me back to romantic comedies. I flew to New York and I went to see my editor, and she's edited like all 50 of my books. Wow, so that's we're awesome. Pretty tight. Yeah, she we get each other and she's amazing. In my opinion, she's one of the few editors who still like editorial is her priority and then all mm-hmm. the nonsense, you know. 
algorithm statistics. Blah, right, blah, right. Blah, blah. She's like, no, 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 we got let's make the book the best it can be. So I, I, I cherish that. her. Yeah. <laughs> but I went to her office and I said, you know, so what's going on with mysteries? And she's so cute. She was like, oh, everything's fine. And I'm like, mm. I write in my books a million times. It's like a running joke. Like when someone says it's fine, right. it's never it's fine. Because <laughs> I was just looking at her and like, you have read my books, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know the code. <laughs> exactly. So that I just said, okay, hypothetically, if things were changing, what would be something I could do in addition to cozies? Mm-hmm. And it was so funny because she turned to her bookshelf and pulled out all these authors that, you know, she edited and she just pushed them toward me. And she's like, I think you'd be really good at romantic comedy. Right. And I was like, oh, hilarious. Because, you know, that's what I'd been fired for. At uh-huh. So I was like, okay. <laughs> But yeah, I, so I started writing those and, and I really like the balance of the two genres. So I'm, I'm like probably at my happiest place right now as a writer. That's amazing. And, you know, I was actually introduced to your works in 2020 when I read Paris is Always a Good Idea, which I just adored. Um, so you. can you? Yeah, of course. And can you tell our listeners a little bit about that book and also why you chose Paris as the setting? Yeah, so... This was um, this was like the the Yeti. <laughs> it doesn't. This never ever happens. This was like something. I was driving my son to high school. Um, we were late. Of course, we were late. He needed an energy drink. I was mm-hmm. being a nice mom because I had flown in from Denver the night before and I was exhausted because I'd been at a funeral and so I was still sad. And mm-hmm. So I'm like, whatever, dude, just get your Red Bull. Let's go. Right. <laughs> Mama needs a minute. So I sat in the car waiting for him while he was at the Circle K. And I swear to God, an entire book just flew through the window and right into my head. And it was just like, whoa. And it was kind of, you know, the book does talk about grief. Um, The main character Mm -hmm. is, is seven years out of losing her mom and realizes that she's kind of thrown herself into um, the cancer fight, you know, curing cancer. Mm -hmm. And her mom died of cancer. So it's very personal for her. And she's become very serious, very much a workaholic, doesn't really have much of a social life. And her dad announces that he's getting remarried and she just loses it in the sense that she's like, I can't even be happy for him. Like I'm broken, you know? Right. And her sister says, you need to revisit the last year you were happy, which is the year before their mother died when she did a working gap year around Europe. So she has to go and find the three men that she fell in love with during that year. So there's Colin in Ireland, um, Jean-Claude in Paris, and uh, Marcellino in Italy. And of course, work when you're a professional at that level rarely stays. Like even if you take a sabbatical or a leave of absence, it follows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of like being a writer. You're always working um, in some way. The ideas don't you know, switch off. Right. So she goes back on this gap year. And then the title, Paris is always a good idea. Paris is kind of the pivotal setting for when things really change for her. And I don't want to say too much because you have to read it to, as you know, Mm -hmm. to find out why, but Paris is like, there's a lot of big moments that happen in Paris. So, so yeah, people have to read it to find out which one of the three or whatever. Yes. (laughs) And, you know, I just have to say that that book 
was absolutely the book that I just like needed in my soul in 2020 because we were all stuck at home. So being able to escape to Europe in that novel was just such a delight and it was so needed. And oh, I that was just one of those reading experiences where you're like, I'm so grateful for this. I so needed this. <laughs> oh, you're so sweet. It's I'm just really lucky because my sons and I went to Paris right when I was in the copy edit stage of the book. So it was, and it was like the last big trip we got in before, you know, everything shut down. Uh-huh. So I felt like, it, yeah, I just kind of felt like everything fell into place for that book. And then, yeah, it came out in the middle of the pandemic, which in some ways was good for people like you who found it. And then in other ways it was like so overshadowed by, because I remember talking to my, um, and this is where publishing is a business. See, and there's my dog. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally fine. Cozy companions are welcome on this podcast. <laughs> that would be our rescue, Ellie. I think Aww. this indicates the male is here. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but um, uh, I forgot. Oh, I forgot what I was talking. Oh, Paris. The Paris. Oh, so during the middle of the pandemic, obviously the rise in book sales, fiction really dipped. Mm-hmm. And what became critical was um, study at home stuff school at home and self-help like right you know, self-care uh, yeah it's just like well that makes sense <laughs> yeah how do we navigate so this yeah you never know what's going to be going on you know what I mean mm-hmm. so. yeah definitely but I'm glad you found it when you needed it Oh, me too. And then I was also then, you know, from there, because it's always great to discover a new author. And then you find they have this fantastic backlist and you have so many new books to read like that for me is just the best, most exciting feeling. Oh, it is. I'm such a series junkie. I mean, mm-hmm. I love finding, even if I find the 10th of the series, but I'm also like, I have to go back to the first. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because then you've got to experience the full like character development and all the growth through the series. So even if I start out of order, I'll go back and read from the beginning too. Mm -hmm. Yep. I'm the same. Yeah. So speaking of series, you are, of course, the author of multiple cozy mystery series like the Cupcake Bakery Mysteries, the Hat Shop Mysteries and the Library Lovers Mysteries. So is your writing process different when you're writing cozies versus when you're writing romance? Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I think writing both genres helped me um, be better in both genres. Uh, which is hard to explain, but, <laughs> but, you know, with romance and romantic comedy, I mean, obviously, so it has to be funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and my cozies are the same. Like when people say, well, you know, what are your cozies like? I always say, well, it's kind of an Agatha Christie. I love Lucy mashup. <laughs> I love that description. Yes. So my romantic comedies are very much like, you know, same thing. And I love Lucy, Mary Tyler Moore, you know, all the things that influence me, you know, every Nora Ephron movie, mm-hmm. um, that kind of thing. So that stays the same. But I think, you know, with the romance, you really um, have to have authentic emotional conflict, whether it's personal growth or interpersonal conflict between them or whatever, you have to maintain that. And it has to be, it can't just be a misunderstanding. I mean, I will burn a book. Just kidding. I would never, but <laughs> never burn a book. <laughs> if, it, if the whole thing hinges on like one conversation, mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't work for me. I really right. need it to be more. So having to do that for the romantic comedies really, I think made me better with the cozies. I think I like to go a little bit deeper with my cozy characters. Like there are some conflicts and it's not so much the surface. I think I dig a little deeper, but the other, the flip side to that is mysteries are great 
particularly uh, the cozies because you know you know that dead body is going to move that plot along Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I think knowing that kind of getting that rhythm in a cozy where you have to keep things moving there's not a lot of dead time in my romantic comedies right you know there's not a lot of like well let's navel gaze for a chapter because that's fun no it's not actually (laughs) yeah exactly so I really I think writing those mysteries really taught me to keep the plot moving that completely makes sense. And, you know, I feel like because cozies and rom-coms are my two favorite genre, genres. Well, those and like I like middle grade, like spooky books. And oh, I think, yeah, it, yeah, they're so fun. And I think it's because they all kind of have a similar like light, fun, escapist tone to them. So for me, those are just like candy. I can read those genres all day long. Yes. Me too. I like those. And then I have random, like, I'm just beginning. Well, I've always read in the fantasy genre. Uh-huh. Um, and it's funny to me, like, some are just so good to me. And some I'm like, I can't uh-huh. disbelieve. <laughs> but I love the, I love a little bit of paranormal. I love a little bit of magical realism. So I, I like, because what growing up, I was not, this is like a terrible thing to admit, but I could not really lock in on the Lord of the Rings. Mm. Yeah. But I was a huge, huge The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe Narnia fan. So it's like, it's funny how different people can lock into different series. Right. So that was, I definitely cut my teeth on those. And it stays with you, I think. Like when mm-hmm. I say genre, it's like my, my ultimate goal is to write a massive paranormal or fantasy book and then be queen of all genre. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that is a very achievable goal for you. Well, I've been working on my agent. I'm like, okay, so I have this idea. And she's like, oh, good God. She's like, send it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and now there's these like um, cozy fantasy novels. I don't know if you've seen yes, any of them. Yeah. Paranormal crossover. My friend uh, Nancy Warren writes a really super cool cozy series set in um, Oxford, England, and it's vampires and witches and knitting. I'm cool. Like, uh, brilliant. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah, I'm going to have to add that to my list immediately um there's another one yeah perfect for fall oh and i'm trying to find this other one that i just recently added to my list it's a cozy fantasy and the cover kind of reminds me of shrek but it's about like these little ogres that own like a coffee shop so (laughs) it's just like all the cozy vibes yeah it's absolutely adorable See, I love stuff like that. And I like um, YA too. I was a mm-hmm. children YA librarian for, I want to say like six or seven years. Oh, cool. And it was some of the best reading. I mean, I just, and I, luckily I, I was doing that right when Hunger Games dropped and uh-huh. so it was like, you know, all those dystopian Right. Which, you know, come to find out they were actually training manuals. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding, huh? Ooh. <laughs> crazy times but yeah yeah, so so I felt really fortunate to because I you know when your kids are little you're reading to them and you're on top of the the genre but then Mm -hmm. they get a little bit older and you kind of you know I always read with my boys because I wanted to have things to talk about with them you know we definitely had to read every night and I remember oh I remember um this is just a side story about the magic of reading to your kids Uh I was reading one of the boys' godmothers gave the boys uh, Gregor the Overlander, which is also Susan oh, right. Collins, the Hunger Games author. We loved it more than Hunger Games. Really? She was so good. Like, there are certain authors you should study just because they're that good. But Gregor the Overlander, the series, 
um, total fantasy, like an underworld underneath New York City. Mm -hmm. She would end every chapter with such a massive cliffhanger <laughs> that my younger one would just be enraged. <laughs> we can't stop reading yes, now. She's like, I can't, I'm never going to sleep. You have to. So I started stopping in the middle, like mid section of chapters. And I thought that is like a lesson in how to craft a book. Right. You know what I mean? So, so yeah, you, you can learn in any genre, I'm convinced, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, just pick up tips and tricks from all the authors. I do think reading is the absolute best thing that you can do if you want to learn how to write books. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So I did also want to chat about one of your other romances, Wait For It, because um, I also really enjoyed that one. I found those characters to be so fascinating, and I was just rooting for them from the very beginning. So how would you describe Annabelle and Nick to our listeners? Wow, um, that was a really interesting book to write because I am not um, an anxious person. I'm not mm -hmm. really a worrier because I'm like, eh, why suffer twice? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I have a lot of people in my life um, who do have like serious anxiety. And you know, so learning to help them, you know, just by being compassionate and understanding that just because I'm like, whatever, it doesn't mean they are, you mm -hmm. know, or they can't, they just absolutely can't. They're not mm -hmm. wired that way. So they inspired a lot of um, those characters. And I had a friend who um, had a stroke and I okay. you know, watched her go through recovery on that one. So um, that was similar to me. And Annabelle is kind of like me, like, <laughs> not, not, I wish I was as cool as she was. Cause you know, obviously we write the people we want to be. I mean, you but... seem pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> You're very sweet. You're very sweet. But just kind of that, like, um, arty kind of person where you're just like, Hey, you know, the rules are suggestions and whatever mm -hmm. <laughs> that she was definitely my vibe. Um, in that regard, I would never get married as many times as she has, but you know, whatever, right. not judging, not judging. <laughs> And it was part about, of her, like anything on a whim kind of personality yeah. she had going. Yeah. Cause we all have friends who have no impulse control and you just right. look at them like, what are you doing? You know? And, um, she's definitely one of those. And I think the whole thing with wait for it was, it was never really on my radar to be a book I needed. I was under contract for two and it was literally one day in the shower. It didn't fall totally into my head, like the Paris book, but mm -hmm. I was taking a shower and it was just like, I got to come up with a second book. I'm under the TikTok, you know? And then I thought, oh, I wonder what happens to Annabelle. And then it was just like, boom, I wonder what happens to Annabelle. Because she's in Paris is always a good idea. She's uh -huh. the sister of the main character. And I didn't plan to write a continuity, but it just kind of fit. And then setting it in Phoenix, where I've lived for 30 years, and then hitting all my favorite spots. It, it kind of became a love letter to the city that I live in. But the characters themselves, I would say, as you get older... And, you know, I'm watching my boys who are in their 20s now. It's so interesting to see the self-limiting behaviors we all kind of put on ourselves right. for a variety of reasons. So I felt like I have these two characters that have so many coping mechanisms that are also super self-limiting. And it was mm -hmm. just like, how do they get their happily ever after? They have to figure this out. Like, they have to figure out that, A, they're doing that, and B stop and right. see can they you know because like with anxiety it's not like you can just flip a switch so there's work involved you know mm -hmm. stuff like that so that's pretty much where it came from just I spend a lot of time 
um, stealing the stories of people around me. <laughs> right. As, as all authors do, it's part right. of the gig. <laughs> the more interesting you are as a person, the more the notepad and pencil are going to be like, okay, hold that thought. <laughs> tell me <laughs> tell more. Me that again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, so I did plunder a lot of lives for that one, but everybody was very, very nice about it. Yeah, I loved it. And I loved like the that whole like grumpy sunshine kind of romance dynamic that they had going. Like that's definitely one of my favorite romance tropes right now. So that was a lot of fun to read. Oh, thank you. I so appreciate it. Yeah. And I also so I do have health anxiety kind of like Nick does and wait for it because I do have a chronic health condition. And so it's just like that learning how to cope with that fear of like health issues returning. And I really loved how you handled it. It was very thoughtfully done. I appreciated that you encouraged like seeking therapy and help. I thought that was just brilliant. So why did you decide to make that and the specific obstacle that Nick was going to face in that series or I'm sorry in that book um it's a good question I uh, had a book club in Arizona um down in Tucson reach out to me recently and they were like okay we were discussing wait for it mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's like a whole beauty and the beast angle isn't there and I was just like <laughs> yeah but I never vocalized you know what I mean when you're an author you're always like it's kind of in there in the back of my head yeah but it was it was kind of like you know she's renting a guest house on his property she never sees him she assumes he's this curmudgeon old man because you know he sends her little notes that are very terse and some people have been like, yeah, they don't even meet through most of the book. It's just through, you know, letters and notes. And it's like, well, yeah, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> For me. It was um, fun. But, uh, but it was kind of a beauty and the beast kind of vibe. And I wanted to give him something because I think the thing that I'm noticing, you know, um, having people with anxiety around me, it's such a, you can't really wrap your hands around it. You know, mm -hmm. it's not like saying, you know, I have eczema, you know, here's right. a cream. It's like, I have, you know, and in, in my family's case, it's like, um, the friend who had the stroke, it's like, we talked about the aftermath and what mm -hmm. she had to go through. And then um, my husband has a chronic condition. He's asthmatic, pretty mm -hmm. severe. So it's one of those things, like you don't leave the house without your inhaler. Yep. You know what I mean? And if you do leave the house without an inhaler, there's a panic, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, you know, like, how did I forget? Like that? I'm gotta, in danger now. Back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because it can turn on a dime. So it's those kinds of things um, that I wanted him to, to have. I mean, what's hard about Nick is I gave him a really horrific childhood and I felt really mm -hmm. bad about that. You know, I have a, my biggest challenge is I am fond of my characters so I have to torture them. And there are some authors who really get down with that. They're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and I'm like, but I like her, but I don't want it to go bad. I know. You know I want to be nice. Like, I, have to, I, have to I have to know, trust myself that I'm going to make it okay for them eventually. So I gave him a horrific childhood. And then I put him on top of the world. Mm -hmm. And then I took it all away. Right. And it was, you know, um, the childhood that he had, the success that he had, and then the fallout, it, a lot of the, his, what happened to him wrote itself. Like it wasn't even like, I knew I was going to put him in a wheelchair. I mm -hmm. wasn't sure why then, you know, I thought about, well, a stroke. And then I thought about, you know, there's a lot of people who really struggle post-stroke. Mm -hmm. And I had a friend who had a heart attack. And I mean, he just changed completely post heart attack. Like he just was terrified. Yeah. Understandably. 
Yeah. So it was that kind of thing. And I knew, especially when you're young, he's, you know, he's one of the younger people to have a stroke in the book. You feel like this shouldn't be happening to you. Mm-hmm. So there's that portion too. It's like, what? But I'm healthy, you know? Right. But as we've discovered, that doesn't really matter. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so like yeah. Exactly. So that's pretty much where he came about. It's like, I just, I'm trying to get better at torturing my character. So <laughs> he really got the brunt of it. <laughs> he did. He did. But I just have to say, like, uh, I personally really appreciated the representation. I know everyone's experience with anxiety is very, very different and very valid. But for me, that spoke to me a lot. And it actually kind of uh, was like helpful for me to see a character kind of experience those same things. It's, it's comforting in a way. Oh, that makes me feel really good. I know that part of it too, I think as an author, as you know, as you, you're sitting there putting yourself in the, the character's mind. And mm-hmm. for me, because I'm not an anxious person, it's like, I had to like, well, how would you feel Jen, if you had a stroke and you like, mm-hmm. blacked out and you know, lost your powers of speech? And, and it was like, I'd be pissed. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I've been very fortunate health wise in my life. Um, you know, minus the little bumps and bruises we all go through. Sure. So it was just like, I'd be furious. And then I would be terrified. So it was like kind of tapping into those things that I think are pretty normal, but mm-hmm. that you probably need someone to help guide you through. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's daunting. And there's always like a kind of like a grieving process when your life just doesn't go the way you thought it was going to go. And then you have to learn how to pivot kind of like we talked about with publishing, right? You just have to learn how to, how to pivot and manage. And it, Mm -hmm. it takes experienced help to do that sometimes. It does. And I think you nailed it also when you mentioned the grief, because I think like we do grieve. I mean, everybody grows up with an idea of what their life is going to be like every mm-hmm. single one of us. And none of us get exactly what we dreamed. I mean, I want to meet that person and then I want right. to slap them, but no, <laughs> kidding. But, but that's life. I mean, life is like, there's a funny, uh, this is a little off topic, but there's a funny meme that I've seen pop up and it's like, life is just a series of obstacles keeping you from reading your book. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, yeah, some days it really does, but it is, you know, it is a series of obstacles to getting what you think you want. Mm -hmm. And then when you get what you think you want, it seldom matches what you had in your head. So you have to figure out again, like, okay, is this really what I want? And do I want to keep it? And I think there's always constant little grief bubbles of, this wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. (laughs) Do I pivot? Do I stay? What do I do? And I think, so I think you're very right on that. You know, grief is such a component, not just for losing people that were animals and loved ones of any sort, but Mm -hmm. you know, for life, you know, we're grieving all the time. I just don't think we acknowledge it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. And I just, yeah, I just thought you captured that so beautifully in that novel. And then, but you also definitely do, retain like throughout that book it still has that like fun romantic comedy feel like there are some very very funny fun moments that I really really enjoyed oh thank you I know I I try to keep a good balance Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) yeah that's that's uh, such a hard balancing act but yeah it's it's so important I think especially if you're going for like cozies or romantic comedies because those books are so much about the vibe Oh, totally. You're crafting a world people should want to live in, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> at least for me. Like, yeah. when I, I want to, whenever I read any book, it's like, I, I want to want to live in that book. And if I don't want to live in that book, it's, you know, 
not going to get rid. Exactly. That That's how I feel exactly, which is why I enjoy cozy mystery series and romance series so much because you do just get to live in those worlds for longer than you do with like just standalone books. Yeah. And what's interesting too, what I'm finding interesting about publishing is like, I don't think it's been a major dust up, but there's been a little grumblings and like, I guess they call it romance landia or whatever, but where there's authors who are like, well, a romance doesn't have to have a happy ending. And I'm like, I would <laughs> lose my mind. Yeah. I, strongly you know disagree. I mean? <laughs> yes. Strongly. One star. Do not recommend. And the same thing with a cozy mystery. It's like, I haven't heard any grumblings about this, but to me, it's the equivalent of like, well, we're not going to solve the mystery. We're just exactly. I would be furious. <laughs> Exactly. Like if you want to write like a a women's fiction or a literary fiction novel and have like a romantic subplot, like that's fine, but it's not a romance novel unless there's a happily ever after, in my opinion. (laughs) Thank you. And the mystery needs to be solved. This is Mm -hmm. to me, there's like an invisible unwritten contract between the author and the reader. And if you break that, prepare for, you know, pushback. There's going to be pushback. Prepare for Goodreads. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you're an author, stay away. I don't even go on there because it's yeah. terrifying. It's yeah. terrifying. That is definitely a, a website for for readers. <laughs> yes, I don't really. It's like one of those. It's funny because I have people who um, say, you know, like author friends. I'll be like, I got this review and I'm so upset, and I'm always just stunned. I'm like, you read your reviews? Really? Mm-hmm. Why? Why would you do that? And they're like, well, you know, I want to know what people think. And I'm like, I don't. (laughs) I do not. (laughs) Yeah. I agree. Because the thing is, you're always going to get five stars that are going to gas you up. But you're going to get one stars that are going to, you know, slash your tires. So it's like, really? Why? Why would I do that? Exactly. And you can't. You don't. I think what gets me is that every single person who reads a book reads it through the lens of their own life. Like Mm -hmm. I can't even tell you the amount of times I will get pushback on something that seems very small to me, like a, a scene that's, you know, a nothing burger, but someone will, you know, feel compelled to drop me a note or reach out in a comment or whatever. Cause you know, people can find you even if you don't read reviews. Yep. Um, And I don't think I've read any in over 10 years, but unless it's like, sent to me by my agent saying, you need to read this one. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, no, she bets them all. That's nice. But they'll, they'll like tell you like, you know, like if you have a character that doesn't like tea for whatever, then you're going to get a note from somebody saying, wow, I like tea and I'm never going to read your books again. And you're just like, oh, okay. That's fine. But it always reminds me, yeah, that people read everything they read. They read through the lens of their own life, mm-hmm. you know? And that's all the, like, um, with Wait For It, for example, I had, there's a running, like, to me, it was a joke um, where the two, the Nick and his buddy Jackson are looking out the window when uh, Annabelle moves in, you know, kind of checking out the the tenant. Mm -hmm. And Jackson's teasing him and he's like, she's a goddess, you know, and then through the rest of the book, Nick sinks over that way. And I got so many people who are like, oh, that just totally put me off. And I'm like, but it was a joke. Right, right. You know? And then Nick had to be like, wow, she really is like, like, so I don't know why they had such an issue with it, but it was like so funny to me that they would be like, I hate that term. You shouldn't have used that. That was terrible. And I was just like, okay, you know, thanks for reaching out. Thanks for hunting me down and finding me to To let me know. Yeah. And you know, like, I also feel like it's mood too. Like I can read a book one week 
and I don't like it at all. I want nothing to do with it. I can't even finish it. But if I pick it up like four months later, it's my favorite thing. Yeah, and you're like, what happened? Uh Yeah. (laughs) Yep, like it's me. I'm a roller coaster. (laughs) No, it's so true. It's what's going on in your life. Absolutely. Uh I mean, sometimes you know, there's a book that's like, say it's a high energy book and you're in a low energy place. It's like, oh, I can't read that right now. Yeah. Yeah. But then when you're in a high energy place, it's like, that is the book you need. So I totally get that. I can Mm -hmm. can see that. Yeah. I think it's like, uh, the more you read, the more you become, you like become familiar with your own reading tastes and what specific things you're going to like to read, depending on what specific mood you're in. And then you can kind of like, better guess which ones to pick up like my my right. friends are always like you're such a generous reviewer and I'm like no I am a skilled <laughs> reader I know when to pick up which books <laughs> that's very wise I wish everybody was that skilled yeah no I think that's very smart very smart yeah I agree and I did also want to talk about your museum of literature romance novella series which I haven't had a chance to pick up yet but I'm absolutely dying to because they look so adorable and I was hoping you could tell us what that series is about as well yeah that series was um came about in such a backdoor kind of way my agent and I were talking and she said um audible is looking for original content Mm -hmm. and you know between 15,000 and 25,000 words they pay really well they'd own it but you could print it you know a couple years down the road okay and I was like hmm that sounds cool and but I had never written a novella so I was like oh you know this might be out of my skill set so I wrote up um ideas pretty detailed outlines for the three and I sent them to her. And this is where it's business. Audible looked at my ebook sale numbers and they were mm-hmm. like, eh, she's not really selling enough for us to jump on board with this. And I was like, okay. And, but there's a little bit of me that's like, well, we're just going to see what we can do with those ebook numbers. Or I think uh-huh. not ebook, Audible. She, my Audible numbers, my audio, audio okay. numbers weren't what they wanted. And I was like, well, I'm going to get these produced by myself. Yeah. <laughs> I do operate a little bit on spite, which I highly recommend. <laughs> because every it's healthy you get, spite. It is. It's very, it's healthy spite because I don't, you know, curse them or anything. It's, you know, there's no voodoo dolls in my office, but <laughs> I do take like rejection, not personally, because you shouldn't, it is business. So I have mm-hmm. enough to know that it's business, but I also, I'm just like, well, there's a part of me that's like, well, if you'd give me a fighting chance and you know, put these out, maybe my audio numbers would be better. You right. know what I'm saying? So it was like, well, then I guess I'm just going to have to bump up my audio numbers myself. So mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to write them. And I thought, not only am I going to release them on audio, I'm going to release them, you know, in ebook form. And yeah. then I have all three done. That's the size of a, a, a women's fiction, you know, a trade mm-hmm. book. I'm going to publish them for the people who don't like ebooks because there's a lot. Awesome. So that's what started it. So I wrote the first one. And I put it up and my agent was like, um, was that the thing that we were shopping? And I was just like, yeah, I'm feeling a little spidey. (laughs) 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 My plan is to find an actor who can read them so we can Mm -hmm. do the audio and, and, uh, you know, and, and do the audio myself because, you know, neener, 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 because I'm a mature adult and It was As like, we all well, are. <laughs> right? Yeah, this business in particular will just bring the child out of me. <laughs> but um, she said, well, you can do that. That's fine. She said, but um, how about, you know, as your agent, we shop the audio rights for you. 
And I was like, okay, sure. Forgot about it. Cause now I had to write these novellas. <laughs> yeah. And, um, uh, and it worked out really well because I'd written Paris and wait for it. And then I didn't, I don't have a, or I didn't this year have 22, have a, uh, women's fiction rom-com coming out. I have mm-hmm. one coming out next summer. So I'm excited about that. But this year I knew it was a kind of <laughs> a gap year. So it was like, oh, these novellas will fill the gap. Great. So it was kind of win-win-win all over. But mm-hmm. then she took the audio rights to a bunch of people and there was an auction, which awesome. Yeah. And then Dreamscape um loved the ideas and they they bought them and so they're out in audio and ebook. And it was just like, well, that was cool. Very cool. <laughs> and I'm glad you explained, because when I was looking at the books, I was like, I can't tell. Are these self-published? Are these trad published? I wasn't quite sure. They're so it's great to, yeah, yeah that's they, so cool. The audio is, and then the, but the nice thing was, um, and this is where the writing community is amazing. I knew I wanted to do the novellas, but I also knew I wanted it to be very professional. So I wanted mm-hmm. to hire a professional editor and a professional cover artist. Yeah. Because I think if you're going to have something with your name on it, it should look good. Yeah. <laughs> and they good. do. They do. The covers are so cute. She's amazing. Well, and what happened? So what happened was Jennifer Ashley is a mystery and romance writer here in Phoenix. So I reached mm-hmm. out to her because I knew that she had had a series end, but that she started self-publishing it. So I said, you know, do you mind sharing your copy editor with me? You know, the person who edits your stuff. And she's like, not at all. Well, it turned out to be Tracy Hall, who's also a writer, but does copy editing on the side. She's uh-huh. amazing. So she's edited all of them and she does multiple sweeps and she's tough. <laughs> Good. She's very like, this doesn't make sense. You need to clean up this laughing here. <laughs> <laughs> She's very good with the, you know, balancing the good, and the bad. So she would sweep through them a couple of times. And then another writer friend, Lori Wilde, who um, is a romance women's fiction author, um, had amazing covers. She got, and you're seeing this a lot with authors. She got a lot of the rights back to her old series. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was re-releasing them. So she had hired uh, a cover artist named Lindsay who's with Llewellyn Design and she did an amazing cover. So she's like, oh, go to Lindsay. She'll hook you up. So this cover artist, I reached out to her. She caught my vibe off of, you know, wait for it in Paris. Mm-hmm. And she's done the covers for the next, for all the novellas. And then Dreamscape liked her cover so much that they bought the covers from her for awesome. the audio as well. So it was like, oh, everybody was winning. <laughs> I was yeah. like, this is great. It's worked out wonderfully. But the it came to mind because it was, I wanted to write, rom-coms that were and this is gonna sound ridiculous but banter based yes my favorite parts of rom-coms like when harry met sally it's the it's the banter exactly exactly if you give me a 600 page book of banter i'm happy Mm -hmm. (laughs) i agree a million percent so the novella you can't have any extra it's you know i was pushing it at thirty thousand words Mm -hmm. i mean for me it was like I got to keep this at about 100 pages 30,000 words and it really does become like banter driven you know you kind of strip down your descriptions and you're you're not going to be super prosy right it was just like it really kind of you know working in traditional publishing for so long it's like this kind of gave me it sounds weird but it gave me that feeling you get before you're traditionally published when you're really just writing for yourself mm-hmm. because you have no idea if this book's going to succeed and you're just following the muse and hoping for the best. Right. I was there again. All of a sudden it was like, and I got to create this insane museum of literature in the middle of New York city and have all these 
interesting characters work there. There is actually a museum of literature in Ireland, which is kind of where I. Oh, cool. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Need to go <laughs> but there. Then I got to, yeah, I know. I definitely want to check it out. And then um, just the oddball characters in it. And part of the, the fantasy ideas actually sprung from there where there's, um, there's a collection in the Museum of Lit Literature, the special collections that's called Books of Dubious Origin. Mm -hmm. And that's actually probably where I'll roll with another mystery paranormal, you know, putting my feet out in that fantasy genre because I'm just Very like, cool. okay, I need to go further there, you know? Yeah. That <laughs> so sounds so fun. So much fun. And then the Christmas one, I think, comes out in December. And it was definitely um, inspired by It Happened One Night. It's a movie. Oh, yeah. I love that movie. With, yeah. And they're kind of on a journey together. So I kind of just took that bit of it and turned that into the, the Christmas novella, which was a lot of fun to write. And it's just coming up so fast. I'm like, where did yeah. this year go? I know. It's <laughs> melted. I can't believe we're already like to fall or almost to fall. I don't know. Like spooky season starts on September 1st for me. So I don't like, I don't care what day the actual first day of fall is. Yeah, no, it's the first. It's a, once it's September, we're there. My yeah. son is a barista and he showed up with the, the pumpkin coffee that day. Uh -huh. <laughs> like, that is a oh, good man. son. Yeah, he's a good, good boy. But yeah, it was so funny. I was like, oh, we're there. And he was like, yep. Yeah. So, I'm ready. Me too. Me too. So we have discussed the all the different types of books that you're writing, cozies, romance, and fantasy. So is there something that you enjoy working on the most or do you enjoy it all equally? You know, I'm really fortunate because I write two to three mysteries a year, depending on the year. Like mm -hmm. the hat shop is a much more random. It comes out every two to three years. Um, because it was the third one and uh -huh. and during the public apocalypse actually they were like oh i think we're gonna let that one go and i was like no and then a couple <laughs> years later i was like could i just write one more and they were like okay and a couple awesome. years later, like, can i just write one more <laughs> they're like okay if you must I'm like i must so and the luckily the readers have been so supportive of it yeah like yes please write another one when did you want to end it's like no so, so that one's kind of every couple of years but um it's it's tough like the next women's fiction I have coming out is um set in Martha's Vineyard and Fun. I went there to do the research so that was and I've been there a couple of times because I'm from New England so that's old stomping grounds mm -hmm. but it's a dyslexic heroine um of Portuguese ancestry and because Martha's Vineyard was heavy heavily Portuguese and uh or it was way back but anyway and a hot guy librarian hero <laughs> oh I love that I know and it's called summer reading and I'm super excited about it so I love writing the rom-coms because they usually involve travel like in November I'm leaving for Ireland uh -huh. because I'm writing the continuity there's a librarian in summer reading who goes to Ireland she's um, hunting down an author uh, an older lady, kind of a J.K. Rowling-esque author mm -hmm. who wrote a pivotal series for her as a teen, but she's never finished it. She has one book left. Like she's never finished the last book. So she's going to Ireland. I love to, that concept. Yeah. To kind of encourage her to write that book. So yeah. So I leave for Ireland in November to do research on that one. And I'm super excited. So I, like, I love the rom-coms because like I got to go to Martha's Vineyard and now I get to go to Ireland. I went to Paris and yeah. Italy for the other one wait for it was the only one that was like in my backyard but, <laughs> right but I do love traveling so I love that the rom-coms 
give me that. Uh-huh. I like being a fish out of water. So it's always, you know, in the rom-coms, if they're traveling, it's always mm-hmm. an American in a foreign country. And even the, the hat shop, um, when I first thought of it, right. I thought, oh, it's going to be two British girls. And then I was like, you don't speak British. Right. Yeah, that's hard <laughs> dialogue to write. <laughs> well, it's just, everything's different. I mean, you know, they're, yo, if you get it wrong, oof, not mm-hmm. good. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a real tell for me. That helped me learn that, no, no, you need to always kind of just, you know, be an American. So, um, and that one I did travel to do research too. So that was pretty cool. Like if I was going to do more cozies, I would set them like, can we set one in Bali? <laughs> then I have to go. I mean, I just, I feel really bad for you. Your research just sounds very daunting. I know all those cupcakes I have to eat. Yeah, it's just brutal. It's brutal. Oh, all the cupcakes, all the travel, it's rough. It's arduous. Yes. I know. <laughs> the sacrifices I make. I know, but us readers <laughs> do appreciate it. So, <laughs> but I do love that. So that is probably the aspect I love most about the rom-coms, but then the mysteries I like, because uh, it's not that they're easier to write because you have to have the suspects and the red mm-hmm. herrings, but I've been very fortunate that the series have gone on as long as they have. So the world, yeah. so the the interesting thing, like during the pandemic, um, we suffered a, a family tragedy and I really was, I really had a moment where I'm like, I don't think I can write anymore. I think, oh, I sorry. Think I'm yeah. yeah. It, it was awful. And I'll start crying. So I won't talk about it, but it was devastating. And it was just like, I, I think I'm done, mm-hmm. but I was on deadline and you got to eat. So it was right. Like, all right. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to try. And it was one of the cupcake mysteries that I had to write. And I think it was the 12th or the 13th one, uh-huh. but it was, they exist for me. So what right. it actually did was it gave me a place to go in all this grief that was safe and mm-hmm. lovely. And I knew all the people and I cared about them. And I realized that as much as the readers get from the books, I do too. Right. So it really kind of righted my ship, you know, and, and professionally where it was just like, no, this actually is your safe space. You're, mm-hmm. you're going to be okay. You know? So I think for me, like the mysteries are kind of my comfort place. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you have that. And, you know, I really feel like cozies became that for so many of us, especially since 2020, where we just mm-hmm. do have this space to escape to where we know justice is going to be served. There's going to be a happy ending. The characters we love are all going to be okay at the end of the book. And is that realistic? No, but that's not what we need. That's not what we read them for. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, so I'm glad that they're the same thing for you because that's the, I mean, that's definitely what they give us as readers. And it's so, so important to have that little bit of escapism when the world gets to be just too much. Oh, and it can be. Ugh. And mm-hmm. if you're attached to the care, and I think that way, it was a real like learning moment for me where I was like, oh, oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm in with the readers on this. It's like, this is all of our safe space. Yeah. So that's why when we were talking before about like, oh, the mystery doesn't need to be solved or it doesn't need to be happy. And uh, yeah, uh-huh, no, uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it, it absolutely does. Or, you know, it needs to be marketed in a way that explains that it's not going to be that yeah, so that readers know. Out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a warning label. <laughs> yep, exa- exactly. 
So we have chatted about some of the essential components that we feel exist in romances. So the happily ever after and the banter. What mm -hmm. other elements do you think are very important in a romance book? Oh, it's, you know, what's funny is it's changing so much. Like we talked about tropes mm -hmm. and I think one of the interesting things like in romance and, you know, some people will probably roll their eyes or whatever, but one thing that was like, I tend to write, interestingly enough, uh, the character of Nick and wait for it. My editor and I had long conversations about him because he is grumpy mm -hmm. and, you know, and obviously he's had a very rough life. He has yeah. a lot of reasons. But he's, you know, a little bit, I want to say an alpha kind of guy because, mm -hmm. you know, been the boss and had to run his own life since he was a kid. And um, I've never written an alpha. My my heroes are cinnamon rolls. <laughs> God, I love the cinnamon rolls too. Yeah, I am just a beta. I like the big, strong, silent type or, you know, just the witty, sly guy who's just dependable. And like, you know, I'm not really like the billionaires. Well, I'm not, and no right. judgment on that. I'm like, knock yourself out if that's what you like. But for yeah. me, it's like, I would much rather have, you know, the dependable guy than the jet setter. So, right. Um, so Nick was kind of a reach for me. Like, um, he is a cinnamon roll deep down. You just have to dig. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to keep on digging. <laughs> yeah. So I think the interesting thing, like the times are changing. I think consent is more of a thing in a romance. Mm -hmm. I think, um, respect, you know, uh, I, you know, these aren't your, I guess my thing is like, these aren't your mom, your grandma's romances. You know what I mean? It's like, things have really changed right. for the better. And I like the inclusiveness. I like that you have a lot of, um, guy and guy and girl and girl romances now. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for the romance industry to keep growing and surviving, it's like, you really have to be open to all that. Um, yeah. I can't even tell you, like, I have such a large percentage of my readership are, you know, men. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Which is great. I love that. Yeah. And I get a lot, they read a lot of the cozies, but I have a few who follow the romances too. And um, yeah, I think the, it's kind of the contract between the, the reader and the author. I think for romances, you need to write real people, real conflicts. I don't think we're as satisfied anymore. Like I said, with like the misunderstanding being the problem right. or, you know, like the jealous guy is not really that attractive anymore. It's like, that's, ugh, no, you know, it's, it, so I think for romances to be successful, it's like, you really have to tap into what people are going through in their everyday lives, you know, trying to have romance in a world that's just moving so fast with social right. media and the news and I mean it's these are crazy times we're living in I'm sure everybody feels that way but I feel like these actually are mm -hmm. <laughs> oh yeah they definitely definitely are and I couldn't agree more with everything that you just said I love seeing uh all the diversity and inclusiveness, especially over the last few years, that publishing has made such an effort to become better at. It's so great. Um, and I do agree that we have to have like all those tropes that we love, except we want to see them done a little bit different because we've seen them before. So, you know, no, no small task for authors to accomplish. No, it's like we have to move <laughs> in these times, you know what I mean? And uh -huh. And really, I mean, I think, I think the writing's getting better and I love seeing um, the representation with authors of color. You mm -hmm. know, it's just like, I had a job. I remember this so clearly. I worked in a bar called Toad's Place in New Haven and this would have been early like nineties, uh -huh. you know, college years. 
late eighties, early nineties. And I worked with a woman um, who's African-American and she was like a romance reading addict. Uh huh. And everything she read didn't have representation for her. Right. And she was reading the big sweeping historicals and it was always some redheaded fair thing. And then right. pirate. And I was just, and it didn't hit me at the time, but it hit me a million years later. I'm like, wow. You know what I mean? It's like, hmm. So I'm ecstatic when I see like Beverly Jenkins and Farrah Rashawn and, you know, Quana Jackson. There's mm-hmm. so many amazing authors of color out there. And, and I love seeing their books on the shelf. It's like about freaking time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just that importance of being able to see yourself in books in movies like that that's just invaluable well and I think you know it's like I was scrolling through like an old navy ad and it's like they have all sizes now it's mm-hmm. like we're not doing the the q-tip figures anymore right. it's like we're all getting ripped and it's over and I know some people are like I'm tired of it woke and, blah, 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 and, and it's like and they're tired of it and it's just like well I'm sure everybody else was tired of it not being like that. Exactly, exactly. Welcome so, to what everyone else was experiencing exactly. for forever. So it's everybody else's turn. And the other thing is, I think when you have that kind of awareness of everybody and every story, and, you know, in some ways you get people who are like, oh, the political correctness has gone too far. You know, you can't have realistic uh, whatever anymore. And in other ways, it's, you know, it's, so there's always going to be battles about it, Mm -hmm. but I think that's, as a writer, you just have to be your authentic self and tell your story your way, because every author has their own voice. I mean, if you follow your path, you'll be fine. You know, there's a, there's a readership out there for you. You Mm -hmm. just have to keep honing your voice and telling your story and all the other stuff like tropes and woke and what's trending and who's popular and blah, blah, blah. It's like, just push all of that aside because Mm -hmm. the reality is there's so many books that have come up out of nowhere. Right. (laughs) I just reached out to the author of lessons in chemistry Oh, I love that book. Bonnie Garmus. It's fantastic. Yeah. And what I loved about it, I read uh, an interview with her and um, yeah, everybody should read that book. Just saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) It was, it was probably my favorite book of the year so far. And it was recommended to me by another author, which I love because then, you know, it's vetted. (laughs) Uh huh. Exactly. It's been screened for you already. (laughs) Exactly. So I, I told her I loved it and she was very appreciative, which I was like, wow, she wrote back. That's amazing. But, um, cause even authors get like, Ooh, you know, fangirly, but I read an interview with her, which I thought was fascinating because she said, I mean, she's a a writer in like the business world and has been for years. And Mm -hmm. I think she's in her mid sixties. So she had written a book before, um, big sweeping novel, rejected 98 times. Wow. Yes. And she said, and then she was sitting in a a meeting. I think she was in Austria, you know, pitching her idea to, she's like a table full of men. And I pitched my idea and she's like, literally not one of them was listening to me. Like I was talking and they were looking at their phones Mm -hmm. and she's like, and then another guy pitched his idea and nobody liked that one. And she's like, and then another guy pitched my idea again my words exactly wow him saying them and she's like and the room erupted that he was a genius and she's like <laughs> wow she said, I went home that night and lessons in chemistry was born mm-hmm. and it was just like yep yep 
So that's where I'm like, you have to write the story that's in you, you know, and not worry about the noise. And mm-hmm. then, like her book, boom. I mean, it's it's fantastic. And it came, to me, it came out of nowhere. But yeah, I've heard and like my our local independent bookstore here, the King's English is just like you, you see that book on the shelf and literally every single bookseller recommends tag is sticking mm-hmm. out of it. Like they are all <laughs> recommending it. That's how fantastic it is. It is. And that's one that you could be like, oh, that's literature, but it's so accessible. You mm-hmm. know? That's why when I say, oh, I only read genre, blah, blah, blah. It's like I read, I guess what I would say more accurately is I read accessible writing. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know, like I'm, where the crawdad sings to me. I won't see the movie because I love the book so much because <laughs> uh-huh. I'm a weirdo. But uh, that was very accessible to me. You know? Yeah. But definitely not a genre book. Neither was Lessons in Chemistry. But there's just some amazing stuff out there. And I think authors just have to be true to themselves and you'll be fine. I agree. And like, what a cool time for readers to have all these different voices that we can read. And like, there's no better way to get to walk in someone else's shoes than to read through their words and experience the world through their eyes. I love that. Exactly. And you know, the summer reading that my book that comes out next June, Mm -hmm. writing a dyslexic heroine was a huge challenge. I have, I this sounds weird to say, but I am fortunate <laughs> to have several because dyslexia is more prominent in men. Uh-huh. But I felt like um, for the conflict, it's like it's so often that the woman is the book lover and the guy is the non-reader. Right. I really wanted to flip the script and make it the woman who's like, oh, yeah, I'll just see the movie. Thanks. Right. And have the guy be like, book saved me. You know, I love books. I'm a librarian. Book saved me. And have that kind of, you know, meeting. Um but writing like if it was such a powerful book for me to write because books did save me as a kid I had kind of a a very loving home but also a little chaotic Mm -hmm. and books were my safe space and to write a character that doesn't have that it was so weird right it was just like I really had to reach out and study and talk to people and look at TED talks and read interviews and talk to my friends. And I, they've been my beta readers on the book to make sure I got it right. Right. And you realize it's like how fortunate we are, not just that we have books to escape into, but we have audio books, film and social media to a certain extent has like, you know, given us all little stories. Right. So it was just, yeah it really made me put like look at it differently I saw this one TED talk with a guy who was talking about dyslexia and he runs a institute for children to help with dyslexia to help them and he said you know the printing press really ruined our lives (laughs) (laughs) and he said before the written word and it became a mark of education and intelligence to read and study and he's like before that everything was apprenticeships and you were skilled or you weren't, you know? Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's so true. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? So it really that is wild. rethink the whole, the whole thing and just how, you know, yeah. And right. one in five people has a, a little bit of dyslexia. So mm-hmm. yeah, we need to be more accessible to them as well. That's what I really came away with writing the book. I'm like, wow, we really need to make things yep. more accessible to that, that population. Exactly. And it's amazing. Even just like if you go on the internet, um, cause I, I work with my, the company that I work for, for my day job, I work with their disability, mental illness and chronic condition forum. And so we're constantly like trying to evaluate the systems that we have within our company for accessibility. And they're like, there's just things that you never 
think of unless you have the specific condition that makes something inaccessible for you. And it's right. it's everywhere. It's like most websites are inaccessible in one way or another. And it is really just eye opening to realize like what a long ways we have to go to make things more accessible for everybody and stories, especially stories are so important. So it's so great to have like so many different formats to get those in now. Oh, definitely. And yeah, the rise in audiobooks has been amazing. And that's, mm-hmm. while writing this book about that character, it was like, that's what she kind of discovers. And, you know, it's like she knew they were there, but she didn't really lock in. Because, you know, if you get a bad audiobook, it can yeah. turn you off. Uh-huh. You know? Yep, it is all about that narrator. It is. So it's like, it was a very, you know, and how like the publishing industry really needs to invest in those narrators mm-hmm. because they're important, you know? So it's, it's just, it is really interesting, you know, how we all get our stories and how we grow as people. And, you know, it's kind of like watching, um, how they're trying to get internet into places that don't have it. Mm-hmm. It's like, you really, can you imagine? I was on vacation recently and, and, uh, up in Nova Scotia, we have a summer cottage up there in the wilds. And for the longest time, it never had internet. Like I would bring my boys up there and they would just put their phones away because they don't work. It was like, you got a summer of, you know, your imagination. Yeah. Oh, that sounds magical. <laughs> yeah. They loved it, but you know, it's Canada. So they are realizing that people in the outskirts don't have access to a lot of things that they need access to much like mm-hmm. we are in this country with the infrastructure and, and getting internet into smaller towns. Right. So everybody has access and, um, so they've put fiber optic in, in our little cottage. So it's like, you know, the last vacation, we're all on our phones. Like, ah! <laughs> oh, you're like great for down. accessibility, but let's still yeah. take a technology break. Cause it's so good for you to just get away from Absolutely. all of it for a while. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited for that book to come out and you have so many books out already, some that you've written under pseudonyms. So of all the many projects that you've worked on so far, is there one that's been a particular favorite? Wow. Yeah. That's like picking your favorite pet. (laughs) (laughs) What day is it? What did they do? I know. I was going to say that depends on the day. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Um, I always joke that whatever my favorite is, is the one that I just wrote the end on. (laughs) It's such an endeavor from start to finish. I don't care if it's a cozy mystery or a big bulky rom-com or even the novellas. It's just like, it's a journey, you know? It is. Um, But... I think they give me different things um, and I appreciate them all. They're kind of like your kids you know, or your pets. It's like you, you appreciate the, the individuality of each project. You know, I learn. I think what I love most about what I do, even in the mysteries, is I learn something. Mm-hmm. So um, like the rom-com with dyslexia, I learned so much, you know, to the point where I'm pushing the publisher to publish it in a dyslexic friendly font. I don't know if I'll win that battle, but I'm fighting hard. <laughs> just oh, so that would knows. be so great. Right. I mean, there are ones just even Ariel is better than like times new Roman. And stuff, uh-huh. but, um, we'll see. But so I, but you learn, like, I learn a lot. Like I feel like every book for me personally is an opportunity to grow. And, you know, even the cupcake, like I was a pretty good baker before I was writing the, um, cupcake bakery series but I had to level up yeah so that's been a journey the library series um was my profession so for mm-hmm. me, that's kind of a love it, every book is like a love letter to libraries in one way or another and just how critical I find them to our communities mm-hmm. so and then the hat shop series is just like I'm an anglophile like 
we were yep. talking earlier that the queen passed away today that's going to date this podcast but whatever yeah and I just took it really hard you know it was like oh <laughs> I know such so. it's so heartbreaking to lose someone that's been such an important figure to the world for so long and just what a woman I mean you see her driving the ambulance during the world war I mean I know mm-hmm. she wasn't really in the war war thing but she was doing her part and it's just and just the amount of time, I mean, think about how things changed from the time she was, you know, her coronation to her passing. I mean, the world just changed mm-hmm. so much. So, and just what a, what a force, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And this episode's airing next Wednesday, so it won't be too, it won't be too dated <laughs> by the time. I'm, so, I'm sure the, the world will still definitely be going through the mourning process. Oh, yeah. I yeah. just, wow. Yeah, what a woman. What mm-hmm. a woman, you know. Absolutely. So we do love to leave our listeners with some reading recommendations during every show. So I was wondering if there are any romance novels that we haven't already mentioned that you'd like to recommend for us. Oh, good question. My, the one other one, I, Lessons in Chemistry, like we said, is not really a romance, but it has some elements. So I, that one was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um the other one that I just recently read was The Dead Romantics. Oh, I, the Ashley Poston one? Yes. Yes. And that, one's a, that one just was also vetted by another author friend. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then who else did I really? Oh, well, I, I like anything Abby Amenez writes. Oh, so yeah. Whether it's Friendship Zone or um, Part of Your World or, you know, whatever. Just you can trust Abby to take you on a laughing, crying journey. Absolutely. So she's, she's totally one of my go-to authors. Um, who else? I'm trying to think. I know I've read some... I know I'm looking forward to uh, Farrah Rashawn and I feel terrible that I can't, I can see the cover that's beautiful in my eyes. Um, and it's like a um, paranormal romance, I believe. Ugh. I know. I'm trying to think of I the title. Yeah. But you know which one I'm talking about. It's, yeah, yeah. it's kind of with Disney. It's like the frog princess. I think she's taking on or something like that, but it was, I'm very excited about that one. Although I, and like I can't remember anything <laughs> <laughs> it's so but hard to remember book titles way. and character names <laughs> yeah I just and I blow through them you know what I mean and uh-huh. then it kind of just turns into a mishmash but yeah but yeah no uh, lessons in chemistry um dead romantics anything by Abby Amenez mm-hmm. and uh fair and also Farrah Rashawn she does have a sports series that I like um, that was so much fun. So I highly recommend her as well. Okay. I'll definitely have to add the, the sports series to my list. I love sports romances in the spring and the summer. Like that's my, that's my season for that, that specific subgenre. I totally get it. I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do have seasonal reads. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, as we've mentioned, Jen has so many books hitting shelves near you, already on shelves near you, including the Fairy Tale Cupcakes Cookbook, which is full of recipes for Jen's hit series, The Cupcake Bakery Mysteries, which just came out. So be sure to pick up a copy today. And before we sign off, Jen, do you want to just leave our listeners um, with information about how they can connect with you online and keep up with all of your upcoming book releases? 
Oh, definitely. Um, I'm on Instagram. Uh, that's probably my favorite social media platform because it seems like it's more positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't agree. Know if that's accurate. Um, it's changing. I've noticed over the last couple of weeks, I don't know what happened, but suddenly it's always videos. Like I just go to look at what's happening in the world. And it's like video, video. And I'm like, it's just reels. Just cool pictures. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's all reels. It's like, it's kind of slowly turning into TikTok. So I don't know if we're going to man, we're going to keep our love affair there, but I do like Instagram. That's probably where I post my most recent stuff. So, and that's at McKinley Jen, because someone else took Jen McKinley, like whatever. <laughs> and um, I'm on Facebook. I have an author's page that is Jen McKinley and I have an assistant. She wrote the cupcake bakery miss a uh, cookbook with me. Um, she was an assistant that I hired before I even knew um, she was recommended by Lori Wild, uh-huh. Christy Conley, and she um, runs a virtual assistant for authors. And she was just amazing. I mean, like we hit it like a house on fire right away. And then I found out she was a home baker. So when I decided to go forth with the cookbook, she baked all the cupcakes, took pictures. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. And there's like 32 recipes in there. It was definitely labor intensive on both of our ends me trying to pick pictures and arrange them and her, you know, creating them. Mm -hmm. So, um, she runs a private Facebook group called McKinley's Mavens. Oh, fun. Well, what we discovered is your Facebook gets hacked so easily. Mm -hmm. Um, I would get these, like someone would put up a thing and then like 10 rando guys from around the globe would hit that person's comment with, hi, I like you. Will you be my friend? Right. Oh, so annoying. You know, we just want to do what we want to do on Facebook and we don't want to get hit on by all these. Friends. Exactly. We are there. not here yeah. for that. Right. Ugh. So anyway, so that's kind of why we formed McKinley's Mavens. And that's usually where you get the book cover, you know, releases. Like as soon as we have cover art, we release it there. She does like prize packages that are amazing. So it's like the cookbook and a couple of mysteries and then an apron. <laughs> How just, fun. Yeah. So you can win a lot of stuff and it's not a super busy group. Like we're only posting a couple of times. The group has become friends amongst themselves. So a few people will post, but it's not like you're going to get overwhelmed. Cause I've noticed some of those groups, it's like a hundred messages a day and you're like, uh, no, you know, or posts or whatever. So this is much light, you know, you can be part of the group and find out what's going on, but not be overwhelmed. And then I do have a webpage and I try to stay up to date on it. I think I'm pretty good right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard when you have that many books coming out. I know. And I used to be on Twitter, but I had to give it up because it was just a hate space. And I just like, no, like, just like, I think, you know, the other thing we've learned, you know, is that you really have to choose where you want to spend your energy. And I just, I can't have all that negativity. Mm -hmm. So anything that goes negative on me, I'm like, I'm out. Yep. I felt the same way. I left Twitter in uh, 2020 and I was much happier. <laughs> right? I know. I Yeah, I just left a few months ago, but I was just like, oh, I'm done. It's, it's, I don't think it does anything for an author except make you crazy. So. Yeah. Yeah. I know. So yeah, Instagram, Facebook, and then I do have a webpage. And the, oh, the webpage is just jenmckinley.com. So. Perfect. Well, I uh, just submitted my request to join McKinley's Maven. So I'm very excited about that. Yes. (laughs) And I am just so grateful to you for your time today. Thank you so, so much for being on the show and for chatting with me. I really appreciate it. 
Oh, not at all. This was delightful. You made me feel so good about myself. So oh, thank good. you. <laughs> I'm so glad. And listeners, thank you so much for listening. We will be back with another episode very soon. So stay tuned. That's all for today's episode. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Get Cozy Podcast to see which authors we'll be hosting in our upcoming episodes. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, happy reading and stay cozy.